Richard. And today we're going to talk about Horace Ove's Pressure from 1976. I think the print says 1975, but maybe it was released in 1976. It, it seems to have been made in 75 and then was the release was delayed for a year or two due to mm. reluctance from the funders, apparently. So. Ah, interesting. We're seeing it in the context of a lot of black films from different places that really deal with the experience of, my, of immigration, of colonialism, and of racism. So the other films that we've talked about in this context were O Soleil, Ali in Wonderland, and uh, Mandiba. And I, Richard and I were discussing last week, and you know, we were saying, well, say what you want, but at least these films are made you know, in, in France, right? Mm. And what was being made in, in England? And, you know, this is what was being made in England. So yeah, this is the yeah. reason why uh, we are discussing it today. Uh, so your thoughts, Richard? I thought I thought it was very interesting. I thought it, it was uh, there, there were some flaws to it, but I, I, I did really enjoy it. I, th I think I was looking at it both in the context of those those other films about the immigrant experience, but also I was looking at it in the context of something else I'm doing at the moment is plowing my way through the BBC's Play for Today from the 70s. So these one-off single plays that were essentially most of what was happening in terms of art house cinema or the equivalent of art house cinema in the UK. So it was interesting viewing it in that context as well. As, as, as well. Um, it was only one point to make is this was the, the this was 1975, six or seven, and it was the first British film made by a black filmmaker. Um, yes. So it's quite a bit later, you know, than the films that we've been seeing uh, from France. Do you want to tell us the plot before we begin? What's so it's essentially it focuses on three generations of a, of a Trinidad, Trinidadian family. So the, the parents have come to Britain sometime in the 50s, I think, given the age of the kid. They've been in Britain for 15, 16, 17 years. They've got two sons. Uh, one, the lead character, is 17 or so, born in the UK, uh, quite sort of thinks he's quite assimilated into English life, um, but is suddenly finds when he's trying to get a job, he's encountering a lot of racism and he's torn between his kind of white school friends and, and, and black friends. Um, the older brother he was born in Trinidad and, and um, the, I got the impression he probably moved over to, the, to England as, as, a, as an adult, uh, perhaps after the parents had moved as over. A, as a child. Say like, yeah, you know, yeah. Eight, nine, ten, something. Yeah, because... yeah. But he, he clearly had had a life in Trinidad beforehand, and he he he's very much in, more in touch with his roots out there, and he's becoming involved in the Black Power movement. Um, so really, it's it's about that kind of um, you know the, the the younger boy is sort of torn between those those different worlds and not really managing to fit in in any of them, and just struggling to find out where he fits. I think. Yes. So it's basically a coming to consciousness film, both for uh, the uh, boy, 
who's called Anthony, and and for the audience, right? So this is a boy who's just gone to school. He's got white friends. He's like he seems initially completely assimilated, yeah. And then, as you say, the experience of getting work, yeah, and constantly being turned down for work in ways that are shown to be clearly for racist reasons, uh, is what begins to lead him towards a life of crime initially, right? And it's, it's not that he commits any crime. It's just that, you know, he begins to hang out with people who are also unable to get work and so on. Uh, and so, and then he comes into contact, yeah, through his brother also, through this uh, black power movement, uh, though he's got different views on it than people a little bit older than he. Uh, it's the most accessible of this bunch of films that we've been seeing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think it really raises that question, yeah, of who, who are these films for, right? You know, because if you look at Au Soleil, who was watching that film, right? Yeah, I mean, I can imagine, you know, uh, members of the Communist Party were probably watching that film, or, you know, left bank avant-gardists were watching that film. But you can't imagine the subjects of the film or the, you know, the, the people who would easily fit in as subjects of the film would be mm. watching that film. Yeah. It's too experimental, it's too avant-garde, it's too didactic. Whereas actually, you could imagine the subjects of pressure seeing themselves reflected in the uh, film. Absolutely, and seeing themselves reflected essentially for the first time because because this was the the first film by a black filmmaker, the first British film by a black filmmaker. It wasn't the first British film on those subjects, but they'd been made from a, a, a white perspective. You know, there, there, there were films going back to the 50s and 60s that, that cover similar subjects, but from a filtered through a kind of white viewpoint. So yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've no idea how wide a release this got. I suspect not particularly wide release, but I did find posts online about it, people saying they you know they'd seen it at the time it was released and and uh, but some someone online mentioned seeing it at the electric cinema in birmingham and it having a, a you know, massive just a massive impact on them at the time just, just seeing that on screen sure i can imagine it doing so and it must have shown on television at some point i i don't know i don't know um what's interesting in terms of the television thing so he, apparently he i was found an interview with him with Horace Ove, or in fact, we should call him Sir Horace Ove because he was knighted okay. in the New Year's Honours. Um, All right, okay. I was quite surprised <laughs> to read this. Which, to which, Sir which is, well, which is which I find interesting in terms of how his kind of place in, in, I guess I guess one would say Commonwealth culture, um, and, and particularly in British culture and Trinidadian culture that he now has you know has has been honoured in that way. Whereas uh, I think this film was I imagine very controversial at the time. Um, he. Apparently he he so he'd written the script or him and his collaborator had written this script, and they'd shopped it around various places. They, they'd actually taken it to uh, to TV um, networks, presumably with a view to play for today or something like that. Um, and it was rejected. It was eventually funded by the BFI. It would have been quite hard to show this film as it stands on TV in the 70s, really, because of the swearing. Um, the racist language would be okay. That was, that was fine on British TV in the seventies, but there's a lot of swearing, very strong language that, um, that wouldn't have been allowed. I, but I, but his it's subsequent... interesting you say that because I would have thought it would have been the nudity. The nudity as well would be a problem. Yeah, um, the, certainly the, the the frontal nudity that, that we get in that fantasy scene at the end. Um, but yeah, that, so the, those scenes would have been a problem. And I suspect if it had ended up as a TV film, which was 
from the sound of it may have been the original plan those scenes wouldn't have been in there and also it probably wouldn't have been two hours long it probably been you know 90 minutes or so i'd be very surprised if a bfi film did not get a television screen it may have got a tv screening probably most likely on channel four in the 80s i would think so yes that, that would be the most likely that's still, that's still important though. yeah 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 um but but what's interesting i think about the release of these films because if you look at his career he made this one feature film in 70 mid 70s and then doesn't make another feature film until the mid to late 80s with which is called playing away um and between those two he was working in in tv uh, sort of mix of episodic tv he worked on a there was a uh, soap opera called empire road which was a, a show focused on the black community so that's quite a groundbreaking show at the time um, he worked in children's TV even. He then made a couple of plays for today. So the one called A Hole in Babylon, which I've seen, um, which is about the um, Spaghetti House siege. I don't know if you're aware of that, but it, it's um, so three um, black guys um, attempted to rob the takings from a restaurant and it ended up in a, sea, a siege with them holding the waiters hostage that lasted for days. In the mainstream press, it was seen as you know that these were thugs but actually he explores their reasons for doing it and their political reasons and and you know social reasons and so on for doing it that and that was shown on tv and that would have got you know 10 million viewers um wow this is my favorite of all of these films uh that uh, we've seen uh and the reason why is because um you get a sense of uh people <laughs> yes in all their complexities. Some of the acting, I think, is a bit rough, let's say. Yeah, yep. like I think, I think the, mo the mother. <laughs> I, the, mother the, the mother's performance is, um, I'd say, idiosyncratic. But he talks about this in this Guardian uh, Barbican interview. What does he uh, say? Okay, yeah. Um, I know sometimes I show pressure and everybody, a younger generation, is embarrassed about the mother. But she's the realest woman, and women from like her from in that Windrush period that came in was upset and screamed and cried. They used to put them in a mental home at one time here and thought they were having a mental breakdown. They now discover after many years it's the right thing to do, to scream and cry and shout and clear your head. Even black critics were embarrassed, how could you show us like this? But he's, his view is, well, she's real. It possibly was based on his own mother because he was from Trinidad himself. I imagine he was a similar age to the to the older brother in the, in the film. What a unsatisfactory... Uh, excuse that, <laughs> you know, because, I mean, you know, the thing is that just because she's the realist person there doesn't mean that that reality is being communicated. And in fact, my own view is that you, you, you know she's a real woman and that she's speaking like that. And yet somehow the performing of it, you know, uh, distances you from the narrative and makes you aware that it's a it's a real woman giving a not very good performance. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's, and it's odd that she, she disappears at one point. So there's a scene, the scene where the boy goes to church. He's with the, his aunt, who's only there in that one scene, who says, oh, your mother's ill, so I came. And it's kind of, you kind of wonder what happened there. Maybe she was having a real meltdown. I don't know. Um, I really liked uh, the, the young man who plays the boy. Herbert Norville. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I also really liked the woman he uh, ends up sleeping with, who is also the head, one of the heads of the of the Black Power movement. Yeah, the, oh, the American woman. Yeah, Sheila Scott Wilkinson, I think is her. 
Uh, I also very much like the father who had like a real kind of dignity about it. Yeah, yeah. I also loved the film's um, conveying of a very real sense of milieu, yeah? So this is meant to be Ladbrook. Ladbrook, yeah, it's Ladbrook Grove. There's one point where they, they go to a squat and he's like, where are we? Are we still in the Grove? And it's like, yeah, of course we are, you know? And like, <laughs> oh my God, we've not moved to Notting Hill, have we? You know? Um, but it's very, you're right, it's very, very, very specific. And they're on Portobello yes. Road and they're on, you know, you, it, it's very, these very recognisable areas of London at, at, at that time I found very interesting. Yes, and so, so you get a real sense for the, what the place was like, what the streets were like. You know, it's shot on location and, you know, it's shot on the street. And often people sometimes look at the camera, you know, some of the people walking by. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I found that quite endearing, actually, that clearly they were just it was kind of guerrilla style filming, I guess, that, you know, that people were just wandering passing this small film crew and wondering what was going on. Yes, and I found the film, you know, inventive and imaginative. I mean, the dream sequence at the end where... You know, he walks into the white man's house and, you know, stabs the pig. Uh, I actually thought it was marvelous, right? You know, uh, uh, because you need that kind of rage there. Uh, and of course, you know, the, the film conveys a more reasonable uh, way forward. <laughs> uh, which is, int I mean, I, I, it's interesting to compare. I mean, one of the things that I also haven't seen, or at least not since I was a youngster, on television is some of the films that Sidney Poitier produced in this period, right? Because again, it's interesting to put it in that kind of history because, you know, Sidney Poitier who was like the biggest star in the world, yeah, in 1967, 68, that period, basically left his career as a star so that he could make films about black subjects for black people and use his star power to get them produced. Those films, Buck and the Preacher is what I'm thinking of, an uptown Saturday night, that kind of thing. I haven't seen. And it would be interesting to kind of, you know, see what was being done in an American context, you know, an imperial American context, a still imperial British context, yeah. I think one of the things that, in comparison to the French films that we've seen, is that this is a more inward-looking film. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the parents are from Trinidad, but you get no sense of Caribbean culture, the location of the Caribbean to North American struggles or Latin American struggles. Whereas the French films are all about like, you know, Che Guevara and, uh, you know, revolution in Algeria or we like they have a real international dimension. Yeah. Which is odd, actually, because the title sequence for pressure is all these um, kind of drawings of, 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 of Trinidad. So you kind of assume there's going to be more about that and maybe some flashback, but, but, but no, um, but yeah, that's it. That's, that's interesting. Very, I mean, very it, English that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah. I mean, all, all the pictures he has up in the, in the house, he has a, yeah, there's a picture of Bruce Lee and a, a rather, unfortunately a picture of Gary Glitter. Um, <laughs> At one point, he says, what's wrong with Gary Glitter? Well, I can give you a list. <laughs> I know, now. Uh, but actually, that is also interesting, that a liking for Gla Gary Glitter is one of the three things that's offered to define his Englishness. Yes, yeah. The, the other one being preferring bacon and eggs for breakfast. And I forget what the... What the Avocado. Is. And it's what, I can't remember yeah. the... I can't remember what the... 
what the older brother calls the avocado, zavado or something, which is a avocado. Yeah, true. Avocado, I think. Yeah, but but um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's like it's bacon and eggs rather rather than the avocado, and, and it's like in Gary Glitter. Yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I love I love some of that. I mean, some of those culture clash things where where he's when he meets up with his the the the, the young black friends and they're all heading off thinking let's go to, let's go to the Jamaican patty shop and he's like oh, I don't like pate. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, yes, I like uh, fish and chips. Yeah, yeah, this, this, he likes fish and chips, not 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 pate, but it's not not patties. But it's kind of but it, it, it's interesting that he's almost um, kind of oblivious to, or, or seems to have been oblivious up to this point to the racism he's going to encounter in adult life, and uh, possibly because he was in he was in a quite a you know, in a diverse school and he's clearly got close school friends who are white. I mean, when he meets those white guys in the in the club, you kind of assume that there's going to be trouble, but actually they're his friends, and they they take him off to the club. They meet some white girls, and it's all fine. But then then he finds, you know, when he goes back to the white girls' flat, and the landlady sees him and, and is incredibly racist and throws him out, um, he suddenly he suddenly encounters that, and it, you, it feel, you know, it feels like it's the first time he's encountering that kind of thing, which is maybe realistic because of the age he is. Yes, I didn't have any problem with that. I thought it was interesting as well that the film makes a distinction between the younger people and the older people. Mm. So, you know, he's he's just pals with, uh, you know, the people he went to school with, right? Um, though I'd be surprised if somebody hadn't called him names. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, everybody calls everybody names in, in school. But he is integrated with the younger generation, and it's almost like all the overt racism he suffers are from an older generation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I kind of, I, I mean, I don't know. It kind of made sense to me. Um, I didn't uh, think of it particularly, except that in this film, and in spite of all the racism shown, yeah, there is also shown a kind of, an acceptance by at least a part of the population in a way that you do not see in the French films. The, the, the other thing I found interesting was the, the links to those to the um, Steve McQueen small acts films, um, so the, to the themes of those. So there's there was that discussion around uh, around schooling and the, the education of subnormal schools, which is the focus of, of the, the of one of those films. The 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 you know that house party sequence reminded me very much of the um, the the you know the, the the silly games house party one in, in, in small acts. I mean, clearly, clearly Steve McQueen is very familiar with this film. I mean, this brings me to the next thing, because really one can see a series of continuities between this work, the work of the Sankofa Film Collective and Isaac Julian in particular, uh, and then the work of Steve McQueen. Yeah. yeah, the fact he was the first black British filmmaker to make a film, and it wasn't until 1976, and until filmmakers like Isaac Julian and Steve McQueen came along in the 80s and 90s, there were very few other, yeah, there were a couple of other films, I think, but most of the films on this kind of theme, you know, after pressure, were made by white filmmakers. So, yeah. um, I really like the way that the film um, played. Yeah, so it's a drama. Often films can be interesting for all kinds of reasons, but they don't really play. Yeah, so for example, I saw Men last night and it didn't play to me yeah kind of you know uh whereas this one it did play 
all the scenes worked, they came to life. Yeah, it was partly the actors, uh, but also it was partly the, the way the camera moved, yeah? And I thought it was very both tactful and um, aware or trying to tease out the complexities of, of character, yeah, the way that people are. Yeah, and kind of the way that it moves in to allow you to see particular things. I'm thinking, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, the, the scenes with the parents in the flat when they're eating, or with the brother, yeah? You know, the, the way that the camera slightly zooms in, yeah? Or then allows you to see the whole group, or all of those things, you know, I thought were very good because it really made you buy into this as people, as a kind of a lived, an account of a lived experience you know, with all its complexities, and not just as a political tract or as an experiment in form, which the film risks going in that direction, right? I mean, you know, there's a lot, a lot of the power scenes, the black power scenes, you know, you, they are almost like, or they could be seen as textbook propaganda-ish. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and they're there, which I think it's important in those years for them to be there, right? But it's also filled through or textured through, yeah, with all of like, um, well, you know, with the boy in particular, his own individual experience of family and society and employment and friendships and... Exactly, because I think, I think that that's the thing. When you, when you see those, I mean, there's, there were some quite lengthy speeches in those Black Power meetings, but it doesn't just focus on on the speaker, you know, you see the reaction of the characters because you know the characters and you know their different views and you, you, you know, you're sort of seeing their reactions and it makes sense, you know. Mm. You see the older brother reacting, you see the younger brother reacting, you see the the, 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 the kind of petty criminal friends reacting to what, what's going on and then, of course, you get the police brutality coming in. Well, well another thing that, that struck me was just the scale of it in terms of the... There's a lot of, a lot of people around in a lot of those scenes, which for a British film... For a low-budget British film of that era, surprise is 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 surprising. You know, all, all those scenes in the clubs, or the scene in the church, or the scene in the the the, 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 the meetings. I mean, okay, in the streets, it's just like passes by, but there are clearly scenes where they they've got a lot of extras around. Um, it's it's a yeah, it's a big, it's a surprisingly big scale production. Comparing it to um, like Mike Lee's first feature film from the early seventies, mm -hmm. which was. I think also BFI funded, you know, that was very, very, very small scale. Yes. I mean, it's one of the things that's missing in contemporary films in general, right? Which is interesting. Uh, uh, again, men had four characters, four people, you know. Um, and, and my own view is that you cannot get a sense of the social without people, right? Yeah. And actually, you can't get a sense of, you know, complex social relations without seeing the way that people interact with each other. And I thought yeah, the film was yeah. brilliant at showing all of that. You know? Exactly. I mean, I, I love the bit in the church where they show, they, I mean, you just get all these close-ups of, of the congregation and the you know, little kids in suits and ties and so on. And, and you, you just really get a sense of the of the community and, the, and the, the, you know, the social interactions and so on just from seeing those people. It's really interesting. And, and the sense of the complexity around that. So because, you know, the film is not just an analysis of black oppression, you know, from uh, white dominant culture. It's also an analysis of, uh, or a critique of 
failings within these people's social context. Like the family is heavily critiqued, right? You know, you could see the mother's point of view. She's trying to do her best. She's sacrificed. But her wants are not her children's wants. Her children feel at odds with what the family expects of them. Yeah. Um, I mean, even the father feels at odds with what his wife expects of him. Yeah. The church is seen as a panacea, you know, as something that's boring, that, you know, they're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it for the parents. Yeah. It's seen as chimeric and uh, illusory. You know, and also the opium of the people, right? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. So, so this is part of what I think makes the film feel complex and alive. It's perhaps worth saying, sort of saying a bit about the rest of his work. Um, oh, so, yes, bef please. so, before, because I, I, I did a bit of digging, before this, he'd made a couple of documentaries. Um, after that, as I said, he made, he worked for TV largely, but then made this. Um, second feature film playing away in the in the, in the mid 80s for channel four which again was kind of focused on colonialism and it was about a um cricket team of black players from brixton um playing against a kind of country house white cricket team barry norman on the the film program on bbc one his he made the comment that horace ove quotes him saying Horace Ove is black, and he knows about black people, but he does not know about white people. To <laughs> which Horace Ove's response was apparently, well, you don't criticise Richard Attenborough for making Gandhi. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which is a completely fair comment. But yeah, that's a, that's a fairly extraordinary comment for a film critic to make, I think. Yes, it um, is, really. In the, you know, in, in, uh, the, in but, the late 80s. Uh, but really. not surprising in Barry Norman. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> I highly recommend this film. I'm so glad I saw it. I'm, I'm kind of, I could kick myself for not having seen it earlier, you know, because I have written on Sankofa and Isaac Julian, and it seems to me that this is so much uh, kind of an important precursor, that there are real links here between this work uh, and Sankofa's. Uh, and of course, you know, having seen all of and hugely admiring uh, Steve McQueen's small acts, you see that that film talks to this one. There's a conversation going oh, ab ab between, absolutely, yeah. between yeah. those works, you know, that is kind of, you know, an important uh, cultural conversation uh, to have. Uh, so highly recommend it. It's available on BFI player and, and also I think on DVD from the BFI as well. So that's... All right. Thank you very much for listening. We are thinking aloud about film uh, and we will return in the next week. Bye-bye. So I loot and I mug and I steal, trying to get a fair deal, a politicking, a demonstrating, and a agitating. Raining, snowing, or shining. Man, I just ain't moving. So you keep your pressure on, and I will keep mine.